MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio, Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB, MPB, MPB Think Radio. Good morning, good morning. Ain't it a great morning? Whew, the weather's been incredible, at least where I am. <laughs> I know I'm missing some really good weather in Mississippi right now, the deep south, a little bit of coolness out there, but I'm in Northern California. I've been talking at a exposition up here. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I want to welcome you to the Gestalt Gardener. Here we are on a Friday and a Saturday morning, beautiful fall weekend. We're going to be talking about gardening for the next little while. It's the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcast. I'm Horticulture's Felder Rushing. I'm on the road, but we're going to be taking your phone calls. Got a fun interview and some uber cheesy music. So stick with us, folks. We'll be back with a Gestalt Gardener here on MPB right after this. This is an MPB Think Radio Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. All righty, folks, welcome back again. Horticulture's Felder Rushing, and I've got my horticulture hat on for a change. Usually I like to take it off and just do gardening, but uh, this week I've been out in, been on the road farther afield, I guess, Felder afield, uh, up in Northern California. They had the first ever national heirloom exposition. A little bit more about that later, but basically it's people who celebrate, collect, share uh, things that have been around for a long time. They've survived the test of time and the whims of fashion, uh, plants and animals and you know stuff like that. Anyway, we've got a fun interview coming up with the fellow who started it. Uh, but meanwhile, let me share a couple of things that are going on in my little my little garden. Back home, I finally ended up burning up most of my firewood that I had left over from last year. I try to get ooh, a huge stack, uh, at least half a cord, sometimes more, to burn in my little fire pit. And this past week or two, it's been so nice and cool. I've had a fire going pretty close to nonstop. It's been nice at, sitting outside in the cool evenings with a fire going, listening to the waterfall, drowning out all the city sounds and the fire, just sort of melting away a lot of tension. Uh, if you don't have a fire pit, uh, they're legal as long as you burn stuff that's obviously recreational. In other words, no tires and paint cans and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, gardening is about all the senses, and that includes the imagination. I don't think there's anything more evocative than sitting around a fire outside on a reasonably cool evening, watching the flames flicker out there. Anyway, I did a lot of that. I've also uh, planted a little bit of stuff. I'm I'm already getting a little bit of a head start on myself for winter, uh, getting some kale, some of that ornamental, that purple kale. I think they call it red boar. But a purple kale is one of those plants that will grow through the harshest winter. It grows in the back of my pickup truck, and I go 80 miles an hour sometimes, at least according to the highway patrol in Louisiana. But red boar kale, purple kale, it is absolutely stunning and can take 10 degrees with no problems at all. Problem is, it sells out pretty quickly. So if you're a savvy gardener, you want to have something besides pansies or bare mulch to look at, Start shopping around to see if you can get some of the purple kale. Whether it's called purple or just looks purple, it's a really cool plant to put out with your violas, little Johnny Jump Ups, and other winter things, and daffodil bulbs too. Selection is going to be pretty good at garden centers, and it's going to be run through pretty quickly by people who know about fixing up pots full of things uh, for the cold weather to come. Speaking of the things to come, uh, Millsaps College is starting its classes this next week, the, uh, the series of night classes. Beautiful campus. It's uh, secure. And you have to go through a security gate and all like that. But uh, there's classes on bamboo. There's a course uh, taught by my friend Rob Mendrup, uh, who's got a degree in horticulture, but uh, he, he's the owner of a place called Bamboo Solutions out in Edwards, Mississippi. He's going to talk about all the different ways to use landscape, the types of landscape, uh, of a bamboo, the the type of bamboo, the runny kind, the clump kind, crafts, how to use it for your garden, how to get it started, how to make things out of it, and even how to make things like food out of it if you want to. 
Anyway, Bamboo Solutions, that's one of the things that Millsaps. Also, uh, I'm teaching a slow gardening class as a two-night class, uh, two Monday nights in a row. It's kind of a low-stress approach for all the seasons and senses. Uh, there's going to be um, classes on con- winter container gardening, um, creating a Mississippi cottage, cottage garden, even if you live in suburbia. Landscape designed by Rick Griffin. Also, Rick Griffin is teaching a new class uh, called Frugal Landscaping, about uh, how you can, uh, can, can create a nice-looking space using free or recycled materials. It includes uh, some field trips, which I might want to throw out, involves my garden as well. Rick Griffin designed my garden, and he and I pretty well trashed it out, but he's trying to make it look okay. And I'm just trying to make it where it's easy to take care of. All about recycled stuff. If you want some more information about that, uh, go to millsapscollege.edu, millsaps.edu, or just uh, word search them and take it from there. We're going to be talking about gardening for the next uh, hour or so. If you want to give us a call um, after the interview, it's a toll-free number. We'll give the number several times to grab a pencil in case you need it. But also keep in mind we can do emails. If you want to shoot us an email, garden at mpbonline.org, we can take it from there. We can have a pretty good time, even with emails, even though I'm out on the road. Um, when you want to uh, give us a call, you know, shoot us a call. My boss lady, Karen Hearn, will shoot me a text about it, and we'll take it from there. A couple of things coming up this weekend. The Mississippi Gorge Society is having its, uh, its annual uh, workshops and lectures and crafts fair Saturday and Sunday. It's going to be in Raleigh, Mississippi, which is central Mississippi. It's uh, south of Interstate 20, uh, or, or north between Hattiesburg and, and Jackson, I guess. But Raleigh is a cool little town, beautiful fall weekend for a drive, lots of fun stuff going on. And by the way, I'll be there with my truck garden. I grow stuff in the back of my pickup truck, and I'm going to be planting a few things and, and sitting on the tailgate and just sort of shooting the breeze with the folks. So hope I see you at the Mississippi Gorge Society uh, thing Saturday and Sunday in Raleigh. You're not going to be, don't, don't worry about where it is in Raleigh, but if you want information, you can go to the MississippiGorgeSociety.org website. Mississippi Gorge Society, spell out Mississippi, GorgeSociety.org, and I hope you see you there with my pickup truck. By the way, I got alerted by my friend up in Memphis who writes for the Commercial Appeal, Ava Middleton. Uh, there's a fellow who's catching flack from the Neat Freak City ins- Inspector. Where have you heard or read about this? There's a fellow who knows what he's doing. He's educated. He works with this. He's a volunteer. He belongs to several boards, and he has the audacity to grow sunflowers and vegetables in his yard. Somebody complained, so of course the city inspector gave him until the end of this month to clean it up, or the city will do it for him. This is a city inspector who doesn't understand that sunflowers and zinnias are in the same family. One's just bigger than the other. And if one person complains about that stuff, well, I'm thinking maybe they need to just shut up and don't do it in their own yard. Unless you live in a gated community where you sign agreements, it's okay to grow flowers and vegetables in your front yard. It's okay to have no lawn at all in America. Lawn is not a requirement for citizenship. If you want to have flowers and vegetables and herbs, it's okay. As long as you do it in a manner that lets people know you're doing it on purpose and not just taking advantage of uh, the uh, people not noticing. Anyway, Adam Guerrero in Memphis, I hope that I can help out uh, with your attack by the status quo that says you have got to have a high-maintenance lawn. You can't have vegetables in front yard. That just really gets under my skin. Don't get me wrong. If you like a lawn, that's great. But that's a style of gardening, not the rigor of gardening. Uh, I am out in Northern California. I've been talking at the first ever National Heirloom Exposition, first time they've ever had it, and it well, it surprised everybody. It started out as just kicking around some ideas around a kitchen table between some people who collect and share uh, seeds and plants that, are, that have been around for a long time. It turned into something that had hundreds of vendors, unbelievable displays, a stack of gourds that is 15 feet tall. I've got pictures of it. I have photographs of this, uh, including a chef who carves cool things out of vegetables, really interesting flowers and designs out of vegetables. Uh, Unbelievable stuff. I have pictures of him. He even carved some hearts 
on a watermelon for me. Got pictures of that on my website. So if you want to check that out, if you're online or can get online or just make a note, go to felderrushing.net, non-commercial site. I don't sell stuff. There's no links. There's no ads. Just an old guy having some fun. Go to felderrushing.net and scroll down to the Gestalt Gardener section and look at not only the stuff that I've been looking at uh, at the National Heirloom Expo, and by the way, if you don't know what an heirloom tomato is or if you think that they're all ugly, little, twisted, warty-looking things, I've got pictures posted of huge spreads of unbelievable variety of heirloom vegetables, heirloom tomatoes, heirloom squash. And uh, on the last note, I also have pictures uh, on my website in the same spot at the Gestalt Gardener link about the Gourd Festival. Uh, some of the members of the Gourd Society uh, created some fanciful things. One painted some pirate stuff on one. One made a little pirate scene entirely out of gourds. And uh, I've got some pictures of interesting gourd stuff. So, again, if you want to go to felderrushing.net, I'm not selling anything. doesn't matter to me if you click on it or not. But if you like a visual thing, if you want to be blown away by uh, pictures of tomatoes that you can not only taste when you look at the picture, you can smell them when you look at the pictures, go to felderrushing.net. Um, speaking of which, you know, when I mention the gourds, some of you may know that September the 19th, which is this coming Monday, is the na- the international Talk Like a Pirate Day. Arr! Talk Like a Pirate Day coming up Monday. And uh, so if you don't know what that's all about, um, let me give you a couple of hints. What, Where do pirates go when they retire? Just think about it. Oh, I'll tell you. Arkansas. And I got a new one. Where do, what, what do pirates join? What organization do they join when they uh, get a little bit older, too old to, to go to sea or just don't feel like anymore? The AARP, of course. Anyway, there's a lot of uh, funky pirate stuff out there. Google or, or text or, or do a word search for International Talk Like a Pirate Day and take it there. Uh, we're going to be having a little bit of fun. I've got an interview with a fellow uh, coming up who started. He's the co-founder of the National Heirloom Exposition in Santa Barbara, California. Name is Jerry Gettle. He has Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company. And if you want information about him, I'll give it later, but it's rareseeds.com. Rareseeds with an S on the end. Rareseeds.com. Uh, he has seeds of over 1,400 plants that have been grown for 100 to 200 years or more with no problems at all. I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing. You're listening to the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. And uh, we're going to come back um, uh, after a little short break with an interview with Jerry Gettle. And then after that, some cheesy music that I selected just for his interview. Then we'll come back with your phone calls and emails after that. It's going to be a little educational stuff after that. Sit back and relax, folks. It's a beautiful fall day. And again, you're listening to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is an MPB Think Radio Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Okay, folks, welcome back. Again, I'm horticulturist Felder Rushing, and you're listening to the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting and everywhere people listen. Speaking of everywhere, you know, I get emails and calls and things like that from literally all over the country, even though this is a southern program. Well, I ran into a fellow who's sort of from the south, I guess, in Northern California. I've known him for a long time. Like I mentioned earlier, it's Jared Gettle. Jared is the, uh, I guess, the, the starter of Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. Uh, and you're in Missouri, is that right, Jer? Correct. Yeah, we're in uh, southern Missouri, uh, down in the Ozark Mountains. That's where I grew up since I was 12. And uh, we have a, a kind of a mix of the Midwest and the South where we're at. We're close to Arkansas, but yet we have a lot of influences from the greater Midwest. And uh, But then a lot, you know, we're kind of on the edge right between where you eat boiled peanuts and where you don't. So uh, anyway, it's a great place to live and a beautiful, beautiful climate. Well, for some time now, you've had this Baker Creek uh, heirloom seeds, and, and you specialize in heirlooms. As a matter of fact, you've been promoting heirloom seeds for a long time. Something. Do you have pioneers who settle in the Midwest, or what's, what's, the, what's the big deal about heirlooms? And, and I might want to mention that you and I are talking live at the first ever annual, I hope it's an annual, National Heirloom Exposition that you are co-founder of. So what's the deal behind all that, Jer? Oh, the interest in heirlooms and why I'm interested, there's multiple reasons, but the history, the flavor, 
There's just so much diversity and varieties out there. Everybody has an heirloom uh, vegetable in their past. A lot of people don't know about it these days, but uh, um, when you, in your grandparents or great grandparents' time, uh, it was very common to you know save your own seeds, pass them on, select for the best and trade varieties among yourselves. And that's what we're uh, doing here actually at the Expo as people are exchanging ideas, thought, food, and uh, a lot of seeds. So it's uh, really a fun time to meet with fellow gardeners and get back to what uh, gardening and food and seed is really all about. You know, back to the basics, back when people controlled the seed and the food instead of a few, uh, you know, big corporations or a few uh, government uh, government agencies or so forth. It's putting it back where it belongs. Well, Jer, uh, you and your your wife and I get. How old is your daughter now? Almost four, just just under four. Yeah. Well, y'all live out at the edge of the prairies, and you've been collecting heirloom seeds um, and sharing with other people through this through this catalog of yours. But you started a an heirloom magazine. Well, I guess it was your catalog, and now it's one of the beautiful glossy magazines. First time I've seen it on the bookstore uh, shelves. Tell us a bit, little bit about that. Yeah, it all started with a, a small, tiny seed catalog business. You know, it was a you know Xerox at the local copy shop, and uh, it has kind of grown. And over the uh, the next few years, after it started to grow, the seed company, we I thought uh, I should start a you know a little magazine for people that were into heirlooms, and it's kind of grown a little each year, but rather slowly until recently. And my wife's been helping me out, and finally it just kind of all came together, and several newsstands picked it up. So we were really excited to hopefully bring heirlooms and. Uh, Good food in general, and, and also support help bring support to the small farmers out there and farmers markets, and get people uh, you know shopping local again. Well, it's not just shopping local. You know, I've been working with the slow food people uh, in around the country and in in Italy, and they're all about you know growing things that are locally adapted, sharing with others, growing sustainably, uh, savoring uh, customs, custom old uh, recipes, and things like that. You know, folks in the Midwest and the South, we've always done that. Instead of having what do they call them, uh, convivia, we call them potluck. So um, were you raised doing all this kind of stuff? Pretty much raised on a farm and with a lot of aunts and uncles and grandparents and parents that all gardened. We all gardened, and uh, I was just uh, always fascinated by the diversity. And, you know, anywhere we'd go, um, you know, whether it was a church potluck or a social get-together with the neighbors or friends, you know, we always, what I always enjoyed the most was looking what they had ripe in their garden and what they were, you know, putting on the table, the fresh vegetables. That's always what caught my eye and the orange watermelons and different things like that. And when I started to notice them disappearing, that's kind of what got me really interested in trying to, you know, help uh, bring them back because uh, people had kind of, uh, kind of forgot about a lot of the old varieties. And that's uh, kind of how, where I got my, my interest. I mean, I always, always garden, just kind of born, almost born in the garden. Jared, this uh, National Heirloom Expo, which which you and just a, a handful of other people just sort of brainstormed and grew from scratch, this is a huge event. I mean, it's taken up uh, an, almost an entire fairground uh, in Northern California, in Santa Rosa, and it, it's not just vegetables and herbs. It's also flowers, a lot because you sell sell a lot of heirloom flowers, and these are are things that that you've collected or people have brought to you that have proven themselves to be. Well, they just have all sorts of benefits, but it's also chickens and eggs and uh, how to milk a goat and things like that. This isn't about getting back to the past, is it? Yeah, it's it almost is the past here. Uh, the way everybody's doing everything here, you would think uh, if they were dressed a little different, I think you'd think everybody and some of them, some of us are dressed like we're in the past still. But um, uh, if I if everybody was dressed a little bit, you would think you were in a different century. Everybody is. Uh, I mean, this is the past and this is the future. I mean, this is uh, what life is really about. It ain't about, uh, you know, what kind of a job you got and where you uh, live and so forth. It's about, you know, the quality of life, you know, making friends with neighbors and uh, getting back, reconnecting with your neighbors and friends and, you know, sharing a meal together, sharing varieties and recipes and food and seeds instead of a, you know, modern, completely computerized uh, age. It's, you know, we have that too, but it's also, you know, bringing that into an older context where we still uh, neighbors can still uh, interact on a basis in the back garden or in their uh, kitchens and so forth, bringing them bringing Americans back together again around food. Well, in a, but but this doesn't mean we're trying to go back in the past. We're trying to keep heirloom. You know, th- there's some some new plants being developed now that will be heirlooms down the road, but they're being developed by people in backyards. It's not the corporation type thing. These are the kind of plants that people. Uh, Jared, who can that you can share them, that you can save the seeds. They're not sterile hybrids or anything like that. 
but people aren't going to want to share something just because it's an heirloom. What makes an heirloom sir? I mean, there were plants introduced a hundred years ago that were miserable then and they're miserable now. So what makes an heirloom, whether it's a tomato or a cantaloupe or a, or a zinnia, what makes it worth growing? Oh, um, there's several reasons. Some people, even if it's a miserable variety, will grow it for sentimental reasons just because great-grandma grew it, and uh, I mean, that's a, a big part of it. But um, actually, some people, it might taste awful to you know, the general public, but there's always going to be somebody that thinks that sour-tasting tomato is the best one out there or that really sweet tomato is the best one out there, and other people want one that's more complex. So the neat thing about it is you have something for everybody, and you have stories. If you're a Japanese-American, you have a variety for you. If you're from the South, you have a variety. If you're from Alaska, you have varieties. There ain't just a few places where they're developing varieties. You have really varieties that were developed by the people, and it's good to see you know areas where small farmers are developing varieties again still. And a few people here actually uh, at this expo are you know working with plants on them you know themselves and coming up with great new varieties like they always have been. But it's uh you know it's about the past and the future. It's basically how agriculture should be. It's kind of reverting back in a way, but it's also the future too. One of the things I've noticed is uh, some of these plants that are that are hot new heirlooms. I, I use I'm not trying to be uh, smug here, but hot new plants have, were commonly grown a hundred years ago. My great grandmother grew a lot of these kind of plants. And again, it's not just food, but also but you had Brent Heath talking about heir, heirloom bulbs you see all over the place. People want to connect with something, whether it's the past or a touchstone from their heritage or their their culture or whatever. But uh, these plants are not just popular they're they're beautiful they're flavorful they've got extra fragrance they you know the, the animals are sturdier whatever but also it's one of the few ways where people who have little else in common supposedly can start finding ways to get back in touch even if they don't really like other people they can at least learn to get along through the foods that we eat particularly in relation to where you live people in california eat different than they do in the midwest or the south and italians eat different from the English, but people are learning to get along with, with neighbors. I guess that's sort of what you're saying, except you're working on a national scale. Yeah, trying to work on a national and even a little bit on an international scale here. We have seed companies from several different countries represented and all over the U.S., so it's uh, trying to bring it so uh, people can trade seeds again all over and uh, also have a way to uh, kind of reverse the trend of you know modern agriculture that's basically is cold and hard and doesn't uh, have any face to it, no human face. It's just the face of a corporation that doesn't uh, doesn't really accept you unless you have 10,000 acres. They, you know, it, it's it's the face of uh, the new farmer, the young farmer, the farmer of every age and gardener of every age. But it's it's not just a name, a corporate name. That's what we're trying to, you know, bring out that farmers actually have faces. They're actually people. And that there's a lot, a lot of new farmers coming out on the scene. That's, uh, you know, what we're wanting to showcase and uh, hopefully give these new farmers, a, you know, a little bit of incentive and uh, networking opportunities. Well, Jared, when you're talking about uh, you know, sharing with others, it's hard for people who aren't in garden clubs or master gardens, whatever, to find ways to get together. But uh, we're seeing a real big rise in Mississippi and around the south and probably other places in farmers markets. And isn't that as local an agriculture community as you'll find as local farmers markets? Yeah, farmers markets are perfect for the people that are just too busy to garden or farm. Or Most people can put in a little bit, but nobody can put in enough to really feed their family unless you can stay at home. If you're working out, it's really, really difficult, but there's a simple way to support you know, local farmers, farmers markets. In the last you know, 12, 13 years, farmers markets have tripled uh, in a recent study, I tripled in the United States. So it's, uh, and that's a trend that ain't going away. I mean, people are realizing that you can get food just as cheap or cheaper by purchasing it from your local farmer. Plus, you're getting a lot more nutrition than shipping it in from South Africa or Mexico or California. If you live in New York, there's no, there's no sense in it really. It's you know buying good fresh food. And plus, like you said earlier, you can eyeball the person who grew it. And not only that, but um, uh, working with Poppy Tooker, who's down in New Orleans, she works with the farmers, the, the French market, and she talks about the people who sell stuff there, including the, the, the seafood and all like that. But when she buys down there, she gets the people who are selling that stuff, who produced it, to tell her how their mamas prepared that. So it's some of the old recipes, too, to get away from fast food. Uh, you get back into some some good cultural old timey recipes. 
yeah, it's it's exciting to see uh, you know at an event like we're at and all you know at farmers markets and all over people are bringing out their old recipes out of their closets and learning how to remake pickles and all these things that people Americans have almost forgot how to make a pickle or how to you know make preserves or jellies or even how to make a loaf of bread anymore and people are all of a sudden it's the hot new trend you'll go into a store and you'll see magazines on bread baking or uh, canning or so forth you know, on the general you know on the general uh, newsstands of uh, you know grocery stores and so forth so it's definitely uh, you know a trend it's kind of like knitting was a few years ago all of a sudden people have rediscovered you know the arts and the crafts and the food and all of a sudden decided they you know people are thinking maybe we can do stuff on my own again without buying it you know importing everything well one of your vendors and you have vendors who have local hunt it just every, they're sharing all sorts of stuff but one in particular caught my eye she's sharing sourdough bread dough she's sharing pass along yeast and showing people how to keep this yeast alive to make homemade bread and then share it with others. What a cool, cool thing. I know how busy you are, but you've had some of the, the luminaries around the country and internationally here at the first National Heirloom Expo. And I just got to tell you how pleased I am to be part of it. And it's good good to see you again. You need to hug your girl while you can, man. She's growing up way too fast. It sure is. And really appreciate you, Felder, for being here. You gave an excellent talk today and really been a big help around the event. Sure appreciate it. Okay, folks, uh, I was talking to my old friend Jared Gettle. He's the owner of Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds and the co-founder of the National Heirloom Expo. We're going to be taking a little bit of a break and listening to some cheesy music, but if you want a little bit more information about this, go to felderrushing.net. I've got information about how to get in touch with Jared and a little bit more about the Heirloom Expo. We'll be right back, folks, with the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting right after this. I lost my job I'm making other plans Yes, I'm changing my direction Now I'm headed for the land It's time to get back to my roots It shouldn't be too hard I'm walking out my own front door To the farm in my front yard Diggy-diggy-dum-do Seed-do Plant little seed Then watch it grow front yard. Ever since I got laid off, I'm coming down to earth. I'm digging up my driveway and that artificial turf. I'm making room for corn and squash and tender little peas. And a chicken coop for the chickens and a beehive for the bees. Dig a dig it up, don't see dough. Plant little seeds and watch it grow. E-I-E-I-E-I-O on the farm in my front yard. The family in the White House grows their garden on the lawn. So we decided we can too. Now we all get up at dawn. When the rooster crows in the old garage, we turn into the barn. At 5 a.m. every morning. The good news is we've all slimmed down since the markets took a fall. And most days we're so busy we don't even miss them all. Our tomatoes are the very best. We've got living groove Up there on the balcony And way up on the For that law degree and that fancy MBA When we don't know the answers Grandma shows the way She teaches gardening workshops Sliding scale if you can pay Tonight we're having collard greens And dandelion wine Bring your friends and your guitar We'll have ourselves a time Wherever your own garden grows However big or small As long as we can share the seeds Farm will feed us all. Dig it, dig it up, don't see dough. Plant the seed and watch it grow. E-I-E-I-E-I-O on the farm in my front yard. With the beets and the carrots and the black-eyed peas. Fish in the pond and the apple trees. Goats and the rabbits and the bumblebees on the farm in my front yard. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. Horticulture's fellow rushing here. We've been talking about gardening with uh, uh, Jer, who's uh, with, uh, again, the National Heirloom Exposition. If you want uh, some information about him, how to get in touch with him, or just find out more about this, you can can uh, Google National Heirloom Expo, or maybe even go to his website, which is a um, uh, really really cool place. He's he's got the largest collection of heirloom seeds in the country. Uh, he and people like him. I get stuff from a place called Southern Exposure over in Virginia, it's where I get my brown cotton seed and and uh, some of my unusual old fashioned stuff that. Still perform well. Anyway, uh, Jer's uh, real easy to get in touch with if you'll just simply go to uh, his website, which is rareseeds.com. Kind of a fun little thing. I'm up here in the California wine country near Sonoma and Napa, California, home of Luther Burbank. He's perhaps our country's best-known horticulturist and hybridizer. You've heard of Burbank, Plum, and a whole bunch of other things, including a lot of things we grow ourselves in the Deep South at we're hybridized by a fellow who made his home and dedicated his life to finding cool new varieties of old, dependable things and also sharing with children. I'm going to be visiting his garden this morning before heading back. So uh, anyway, we're going to be taking your uh, phone calls right now, and I want to start out by, um, first of all, going to uh, Christine. Christine's on the road and has a question about, is that about asparagus, Christine? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm planning my winter projects, and asparagus is on the list. I seem to remember you were talking one time about maybe you don't plant asparagus exactly the way the books describe for you know for the rest of the country. That's right. Um, so I was just I can't remember what you said though because I wasn't interested in planting asparagus at the time. Okay. Uh, well, it's, it's it's pretty straightforward. Asparagus is a long-term project. You know about monkey grass, don't you? Yeah. Asparagus and monkey grass are in the same family, so one grows like the other. The, what they recommend up north is planting it deep, but it'll rot here in the south because we have a fairly mild winter and, and a lot of spring rain. So uh, asparagus actually grows better planted level with the soil around it, but in a raised bed so the dirt is above it. But instead of planting it deep, pile the dirt up higher on top of it for better drainage. And uh, it's a long-term project. Asparagus makes these big, ferny-looking things. You need to put it where it's not going to be in the way. Well, I just happened to have we we built a big old raised bed about well, it's about 12 feet square, and it's uh-huh. like six inches above the ground, six or eight, I can't remember. Um, yeah. And we've just been hauling um, enriched dirt. Ever since okay. we moved into Benton County, um, nice bed waiting for it. Do I plant it level with the top of the that bed or no, 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 no? Uh, asparagus, asparagus. What you're eating, you know, it, it makes you know about asparagus fern. You know the the house oh, yeah, plant people yeah. grow. Same thing, same plant. What you you know it has to have those big long ferny things. But what we're eating is the new shoots when they come up in the spring until they start getting small. Then you leave some, you know, to make energy for next year. Uh, uh-huh. So you want to plant it with uh, three or four or five inches of that dirt mix above the crown, but you don't want to plant it half a foot deep in the south because it'll rot. By the way, when y'all haul stuff in, what kind of dirt have you got under your raised bed? Well, we're just sitting on a whole bunch of sand, and um, I just so you barely have... can drive to Memphis without picking up a load of something to go onto okay. this. Well, what? Well, what, what what, I, what I'm getting at, don't just put stuff on top of the ground. Dig down into the dirt that's beneath the raised bed so it's partly sunk and partly raised. If you don't that's dig what down... We've been doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've been doing that. We, um, okay. We're working stuff into this ground, into this sand. Oh. 
Good. Um, well, the, the, oh. they plant the asparagus where it's got uh, three or four or five inches of the total dirt mix, your stuff and the other stuff, above it. So that means it'll be pretty close to level with the ground around it with the raised dead stuff up above it. Excellent. Hey, have, have you ordered your plants yet? No, I haven't. Look, look for one yeah, that's got the word. Fun. Look for one that's got the word Jersey in the name, because Jersey really? and hybrid. Okay. Jersey. Yeah, they they they're they're male. They don't waste time making the little red berry things. So the Jersey hybrids tend to be a little bit more vigorous with eating spears. Okay. Excellent, excellent, Great. Um, All right. So it's better to order them from a from a nursery than just going out and buying them from well, a local. Uh, well, talk talk to the local first, folks first and make sure sometimes they just get asparagus. They don't care what variety it is. They just get asparagus. You want to know, uh-huh. since this is a long-term thing, you want to know that you're getting a good variety, just like with roses. You don't just say, oh, just give me a rose. I don't care what it is because no telling what you get. You want to get a named variety if you can. Local garden centers sometimes are pretty reputable about that if it's a locally owned thing, but don't just settle for whatever they got on the bin. Okay. Very good. One more Alrighty. question. Thank you, Christine. One more question. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But let okay. me let me before well, you do that, let me let me remind folks that the number is toll free one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or one eight seven seven MPB ring. What else you got going on, Christine? Well, another of the projects is going to be some blackberries. I've got a big old long bed, maybe uh, fifty, sixty feet, that I've been working on all summer, um, and I'm going to get it. I understand you plant these things in maybe January or February. Um, Whenever you can get them, which is about then. Well, I've got I've got this these terrific little place over in Arkansas that that have all these um, yeah Indian names. What do you Good. think would be the best? We're in, we're in Benton County, northern Georgia. Yeah, as long as it's a place that specializes in fruit in, in the South, you can pretty well trust them to give you some good advice. Okay, okay. well, I, then I got the guys. Okay. Yeah. All righty. Well, hands hands back on the road, Christine. We're going to uh, talk to Don. He's also on the road. What's with the, all these people listening on the radio and driving and talking, too? Don, you got your hands on the wheel? Uh, yeah. Hey, okay. Hey, you, you got, asked me you about got... a couple of weeks ago about some bougainvillea doing some cuttings. Uh-huh. And uh, I have the original plant, though, and it's just huge. And what I do, it's in a pot, and I haul it into the garage when it's, you know, when it's real cold and drag right. it back out again. And it really needs to be pruned pretty bad, I think. Um, and I just wondered when the best time was to prune it. Uh, well, or if, you know, I know it, it's real funny how it flowers. I, I've never really understood how that works. Yeah. But well, here here's the deal. First of all, bougainvillea. I'm out in California. In California, Florida, South Texas, subtropical places, bougainvillea is a weed. It grows just everywhere along the interstates. You can prune it to just nubs, just bare stems, and it'll put out new growth and bloom. But because it's a tropical plant, it grows year-round, so you can prune it pretty much year-round as long as you know that when you bring it in, it's going to drop all of its leaves. So what I would do is I would wait till it's time to bring it in, prune it then. That way you get rid of all those leaves before you have to sweep them up on the floor. It'll put out all new growth indoors. And then next spring was time to set it out, cut that stuff back so that the new growth outside will be better adapted for outside. What grows outside and what grows inside are completely different kind of leaves. So prune it when you bring it in, prune it when you put it out. Uh, okay. Now, now what I've done in the last year was actually, you know, I leave it on my deck. When it's going to frost, I drag it in I, right into a, a space yeah. I have there, yeah. uh, like a garage next to right. my deck. And then the next morning, when it gets warm enough, that I just drag it back out again, and it's well. That, to... That's fine, but sooner or later, it's going to have to be brought in. Where do you live anyway? Jackson. Okay, yeah. Sooner or later, it's going to have to be brought in because it gets confused. Those leaves, you know, when they go through dramatic changes, weeping figs, bougainvilleas, uh, hibiscus. Uh, when when it when it when it changes around like that, sometimes it takes three or four weeks, two or three weeks before those leaves fall. So you know. Leave it out as much as you can, but when it's brought in for the final time, you know, don't confuse it by putting it out in the middle of the winter because it's not just the light and the temperature, 
but it's real low humidity inside. And these are tropical plants. So, I, you know, when you finally bring it in for good for the winter, cut it back. No big deal. It's real routine. Okay. Okay. All righty. You betcha. Now, let me see here. Uh, and, and by the way, let me mention again that Monday is the International Talk Like a Pirate Day. And if you want to see some bad pictures, including me coming out as a pirate, if you want to see a shot of me uh, with, unfortunately, my real hair, but with a pirate hat and a pirate knife in my teeth, and if you want to see some gourds that have been done up like pirates, as well as some photographs from the National Heirloom Exposition, including some knocked-out pictures of gourds, unbelievable variety of heirloom tomatoes, and things like that, go to felderrushing.net, scroll down to the Gestalt Gardener thing. And also remind you that Millsaps College is teaching its night classes. It's safe, it's secure, it's beautiful. Start next week. Check millsaps.edu or just, um, just go find it online. It's got all sorts of details, stuff like that. Meanwhile, let's go to uh, Billy. He's in Benton and has a question about St. Augustine. Billy, what's up with your grass, man? Well, I planted some this past spring, and it seems like most of it died during the hot summer. And I was wondering, if it's, since it cooled down, is it too late to put it out now? If I put it on the south side of my house, it's not too late, Billy. But the problem is, you know, it doesn't really have a lot of time to get rooted. Sort of right. middle first of September is kind of a general cutoff. You still have time, unless we get us a cold frost. Problem is, it's going to need to be watered over the winter time. If we have two or three weeks of sunny, windy weather with no rain. So right. because it won't have many roots, it can actually dry out in the wind and die. So okay. if you're going to plant it this late, be prepared to water it if we go a couple of weeks without rain in the wintertime. All right. Now, I brought some sweet corn this past this year, and I had some left over. It's sky high. What I have left over as far as seed goes in the icebox and save it for next spring. Well, you can, but some of those varieties are hybrids, and they don't come true to seed. But uh, they, they all no, do. I mean, but you don't have to keep it in the icebox. Just keep it cool and dry. You don't have to put things in the refrigerator. Cool and dry is, is the key, man. All righty. He's talking about uh, grass in the yard and grass to eat because corn is a grass. We're going to be talking about gardening for the, for the rest of the hour. If you want to give us a call, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring And when we come back, we've got a question from Florence and, uh, and also from Fairhope. And we're going to be kicking around some other ideas. The Gourd Festival, Mississippi Gourd Society, is in Raleigh this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I'll be there with my pickup truck. Hope to see some of y'all there, too. Raleigh, Mississippi, Saturday and Sunday. I'm Horticulture's Fellow Rushing. You're listening to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org MPB Think Radio All righty, back. Welcome back, folks. Horticulture's fellow rushing. We're broadcasting this morning from Santa Rosa, California, home to Luther Burbank, one of America's premier horticulturists. I've uh, got a really bad one. Got a bad email from somebody um, a little while ago about pirates. Monday is International Talk Like a Pirate Day. He said, "Why?" And by the way, you know what pirates like to do when they're not uh, out on boats? They like to garden and grow asparagus. Anyway, here's what. Um, a fellow sent, why does it take a pirate so long to learn the alphabet? Because he spends so much, so many years at sea. Ouch. Let's go to Florence. Good morning, Don. How are you this morning? Hello. Uh, Don in Florence. Can you hear me now? Oh, yes, I can. Hey, man, what's going on? Well, I've got a raised bed of established strawberries, and I'm wondering if I can transplant them to a different bed this winter, or should I wait till spring? Oh, no, I'd do it this fall. Strawberries can take cold weather a whole lot better than they can take hot weather. So, I mean, they, they, can, they can take the cold. I'd go ahead and just work up the bed really good one more time, and then uh, start moving some of the smaller, healthiest plants, you know, the, the, good, the, the, the good, smaller plants. And I'd do, as soon as we start getting a little cool weather, I'd start moving them. You could do it even the dead of winter. All right. I've got two miniature rose bushes. One of them's been in the ground a couple of years, and it looks uh, 
this stress, the leaves are starting to fall. But I'm I'm getting two horses, and I'm worried that these horses are going to step on it. So I guess I oh. need to transplant it. Can I do that in the fall? In fall is best. When we get a little bit cool weather, matter of fact, if you want to go ahead and start digging the hole where they're going to go, then that that chore will be done. As soon as it gets a little bit of frost. I'd go ahead and move them then. And be sure to cut them back a little bit this winter. Um, by the way, the horses won't just step on them. They'll eat them first, then step on them. That was my next question. Are they going to eat my musky dines and scorpions? Yep. <laughs> horses will eat just about anything they can reach. They're, you know, they're sort of like big deer. Yeah, I guess I'll have to pull a little, build a little fence around it then. There you go. That's part of it, man. All right. So, Thank you appreciate your call, Don. Okay, now uh, we got a call from Fairhope, Alabama, from Robert. And by the way, I'm going to be in in uh, Fairhope on October the 20th. That's a Thursday. I'm talking with with Master Gardeners, and I think that they're going to invite the general public. But uh, anyway, uh, Robert, are you with me this morning? I Hey, what's up, man? Thank you very much for your program. You bet. I've been. I've been doing raised gardens for many years. It's a civilized way to garden. I agree. Uh, the, the the best way, no question. That's how I garden. Yeah, I grow in containers, raised beds and containers. So what's specifically up? the size, a couple of callers ago, she said she had a 12 by 12. Yeah, that's and big, that ain't it? Immediately put off red flag. One of the things you do to your precious soil in the raised bed, you don't walk on it. Compaction right. under the soil is a big baddie. Oxygen, oxygen, you need it in the soil right at the top. Yeah. So 6 by 12 allows you to reach both sides and stay off the the good soil. Yeah. And uh, actually, you know, since it's, uh, what what she say, was it 12 by 12 or 10 by 12? I forget. She said 12 by 12. Yeah. Well, she, you know, to me, you know, having them four and a half or five feet wide and 12 feet long is better because you're going to need at least two feet to walk between those beds by the time stuff starts spilling over the edges. And uh, But I agree with you. I, I would even break it up into four square beds with uh, with uh, an X-shaped uh, walkway in the middle of it. But you're right. Smaller is better. You don't have to mess with the soil. and gives you a way to reach stuff a whole lot better. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing is start start with one. Get that going. <clears throat> make sure you got that going right. Then make another one. Yeah, uh, too many irons treat in the fire it, works in the garden. It it, also, you treat each to one like it, treat each one like it's, its own, like a different garden, and you can rotate your crops around a whole lot better that way. But treat them as individual gardens to plant and harvest as needed, instead of having to do the whole garden. Absolutely, and roses. I'd like to see more roses. I was down in uh, St. Augustine. I had been gardening tomatoes for many years. Had a beautiful uh, raised bed of tomatoes. I call it my tomato factory. And in two days, it was down on the ground because of root nematodes. Yeah. And I went I went to roses. I've been gardening oh, 40 years. Yeah. It wasn't until I was growing roses, raising grows, roses, that I realized I was harvesting every day. Oh yeah, roses. yeah. Well, listen, we need to we need to have we, we need to to talk another time when we got more time. We're towards the end of the program, but uh, you you got some things I want to. I know other people are interested in hearing about, but I'm absolutely with you. Shrub roses, raised beds, uh, that's the way to go, my friend. But anyway, let's let's talk again when when we're not towards the end of a program because we got some stuff to chew the fat about, my friend. Alrighty, alrighty, that so was. Uh, a fellow from uh, down in Fairhope, and I'm going to be in Fairhope on October the 20th talking uh, about gardening through all the seasons. Um, had a call from Brandon. Uh, she couldn't stay on the line about drying seeds, and it may have something to do with Robert's call from Ripley. Robert, are you in Ripley, Tennessee, or Ripley, Mississippi? Mississippi. All righty. What's up, man? I, have, I was given some tomatoes uh, by a friend. Uh, I've grown their delicious that he called them um, Cherokee purples. And oh man, that's a, that is a fine old heirloom. That's an heirloom that you're uh, you know familiar with, or if it is oh, yeah. an heirloom oh, yeah. at all. Yeah, it's, it's a great one, and and you can save the seeds easily. Okay. 
Uh, matter of fact, while I was at this heirloom expo, uh, I, I was I was given the task of besides lecturing, I, I organized a tomato tasting uh, thing where we had uh, several dozen different kinds of tomatoes sliced up in place, and people walked by and took taste and then wrote down which ones are favorite. And yeah. Cherokee purple and one that's closely related to it got consistently high marks. But while I was there, I got some seeds myself. I even got seeds of a of one that's that's not that's not much bigger than the end of my little tiniest. It's it's one of the smallest little berries I've ever seen. And what you do is you you take some really ripe ones, the ones that are almost overripe, and then you you open them up, take the seeds out, and I put them on a piece of uh, of uh, paper towel. Mm-hmm. And spread them out a little bit, and then when they dry next year, all you gotta do is just cut that paper towel up in little bit of things and plant the because the seeds stick to it. But if you want to put them in a colander or something to to get that jelly like stuff off of it, it makes it a lot easier to save the seeds. Okay, uh, another quick question: uh, the, the tomatoes were the the skins were split uh, yeah. at some point about the last couple of weeks. Is that from overwatering? Yeah, what what happens? The tomato skin, as it if it grows steadily, it's really elastic. But if it stops growing because it gets hot or dry or something, then that mm-hmm. skin hardens a little bit. And then when you water or you get a good rain, uh, the the plant pushes so much moisture in there, it splits and cracks the skin. That happens okay. even on cabbages and sweet potatoes. So, so the idea the, is to keep uh, them the remedy for that is just to steady uh, to keep the water uh, without dry. Yeah, yeah, a, a good deep soaking every week. Week and a half or so is usually plenty. In, in, in the case of containers, after water mine sometimes twice a week in my container garden during the really hot part. But uh, don't keep them wet, but just a good soaking at least once a week. Now, these are in containers. Right. Okay, well, I appreciate it. So. All righty. You betcha. Okay, you know, that fellow from Fairhope had a lot of things I want to talk about. We were just out of time, so I hope he gives us another chance next week. If you want to give us a call uh, during the program, that's fine. But if you want to email, uh, it's real easy, garden at mpbonline.org. I have caught up on my emails, but I noticed that uh, when I checked my stuff this morning that um, six of my emails are still in the outbox and for some reason won't send right now. So... Oh, Bernie and Ava and, and uh, who else have I got here? I've got, uh, well, I've just got a whole bunch of them out here that that, uh, that need to go. Um, as soon as I get to a decent place where they've got good Internet, Northern California is, mm, for some reason, not seeing this stuff. Anyway, check out Millsaps College. Go to, just do a word search for Millsaps College. Look for continuing education or, or adult enrichment. I've got classes that I'm teaching. Rick Griffin about recycling in the garden rob with his bamboo it's just a lot of stuff going on there if you're from out of town get somebody to ride with you it'll be a lot of fun uh, i'm going to be at the gourd festival in raleigh saturday it's saturday and sunday i'm gonna have my pickup truck and i'll have a few of my books with me if you want to come down and chew the fat look at uh how a guy grows stuff in a box in the back of a pickup truck bring it on we're gonna have a lot of fun folks I'm a horticulturist fellow rushing, and you've been listening to the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and I'll be back in the studio live next week for the rest of the fall. 